Your mind doesn't disappear when you die. Actually, your mind doesn't change at all after death. You just use it differently. So in what follows, as we go through the levels of the mind, how the focus of our consciousness shifts, the spiritual connections there, and the limbus, whatever that is, just know it's all leading us not toward illumination. Instead, everything, our sense of who we are, our sense of purpose, life itself gets clearer and clearer. Let's take a look at just what happens to your mind when you die. Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg in Life. Today we're talking about what happens to your mind after you die. How could you not want to know that? And yes, we are going to assert in this show that your mind is not dependent on your brain and so consciousness can survive death. We will talk a little bit about the interaction between the mind and the brain in a minute, but I want to start with the expansive nature of the mind after death. We actually get a bigger and better mind experience when we cross over into the other life. But the state of your mind after that transition is less about what happens to it and more about where our consciousness resides within that structure that's already there. The Swedenborg describes a, a layout of the mind where there's three levels to it, that we all right now, you and I right now, have a heavenly, a spiritual, and an earthly level to our minds. Most of our consciousness when we're walking this earth is you guessed it, on the earthly level. But these are there and they're intact. And after we make this death transition, we actually move up to becoming more aware of these levels. And they're cool and we're going to talk about them. But first, I do want to hang on this earthly level for a minute because there's something unique about that level that's going to help us understand how all three of these are connected. Swedenborg writes how the spiritual and heavenly levels of our minds are made up of spiritual substance. So you'd think the earthly level of our mind is made up of earthly substance, but it's not. He says that the earthly level has both earthly and spiritual substances in it. He writes, our earthly mind is made up of both spiritual substances and earthly substances. Our thinking results from the spiritual substances and not from the earthly substances. These latter substances fade away when we die, the earthly ones, but the spiritual substances do not. So when we become spirits or angels after death, the same mind is still there in the form it had in the world. So even though the spiritual and earthly substances are on the same level, they remain entirely distinct from each other. And so you can sort of think of this like an emulsion, like you make when you make salad dressing. So in an emulsion, you need a hydrophilic substance, which is like the vinegar, and a hydrophobic substances, which is like the oil. And then you need a surfactant, which in this case, I'm using mustard, and that, uh, works well, what the surfactant does is it has hydrophilic and hydrophobic elements in it so that it makes it so that they can combine fully with each other and yet remain entirely distinct. So the vinegar is like the earthly substances of our mind. And I'm gonna mix that with the mustard and we'll get to what the surfactant corresponds to potentially later. And then the oil is like the spiritual substances and if I were to just leave it like this, they would just remain entirely separate from each other. But in an emulsion, because of that surfactant, they combine 
So then together, they actually become one substance, even though they're still entirely distinct, but you don't see them as being separate in, in an emulsion. And so the spiritual substances of the higher levels of our mind connect with the earthly level of our mind through the spiritual substance that are on that level. And so otherwise, we wouldn't be able to have this whole dynamic of being spiritual and earthly beings at once. But we don't become fully conscious of those higher levels of our mind until after death. So for now, this is where we're hanging out. This is our main level of consciousness in the world. We have these. You still have these. They're there. But we don't hold our consciousness there day to day. It doesn't mean we can't interact with it, that our mind can't be raised to that at times. Swedenborg describes it in Divine Love and Wisdom. He says, Our earthly mind can be raised as far as the light of heaven that surrounds angels, and can therefore sense on the earthly level what angels sense spiritually. That is, it does not sense so fully. So we can start to get the kind of things you get on these higher levels of the mind, but through the filter of the earthly mind. Still, our earthly mind cannot be raised all the way into angelic light itself. There's no way for our human wisdom, which is earthly as long as we're living in the earthly world, so don't put too much pressure on yourself, to be raised into angelic wisdom, only into some reflection of it. This is because the raising of the earthly mind is along a continuum, like that of darkness to light or coarse to fine. Still, if our spiritual level has been opened, we come into consciousness of that wisdom when we die. So there, right there, you see the transition after death, but watch what he says here. And we can also come into consciousness of it through the quiescence of our physical senses and then through an inflow from above into the spiritual elements of our mind. So never take Swedenborg's blanket statements too seriously. There, if I'm reading it correctly, he says, we can't really get our mind directly raised into this spiritual and heavenly levels because we're earthly, but we can get approximately there. Or, but we can, if the senses back off a little bit. And I think this is why you have people in meditation a lot of the time trying to quiet the mind. You close your eyes. You try to reduce your focus on sensory input. People do sensory deprivation tanks and sometimes say they have sort of experiences in there. So that is a way in which we can peek into the world of these levels. But just know they're always there. They're the things that are actually the conduit for goodness and truth from heaven coming into us. So they can give input even when we're not totally aware of them. This is one way we're depicting this as here's the earthly down here and you stack on top of it like a connect four or something, these things above it. But Swedenborg also describes the earthly as the outermost or sort of a covering around the others and going in you have at the core, the heavenly. Thinking about it that way is useful, but that's not the actual shape of it. This is a schematic. What is the actual shape of the mind? Well, it's one you're pretty familiar with. It's the human form. Actually, the physical bodies we all walk around with and associate with being human, they are based on the thing that makes us conscious, that actually the mind is in that form. And not just a little bit, this is actually essential to that form. Swedenborg writes about it in two places here. First, it's a great summary in Charity 98. After death, a person's mind is the spirit in the human form. And then from five memorable relations, so really going deep into the, the catalog here, a person's mind remains the same as it was in the world after death. And because the mind is not only in the head, but also in the whole body, therefore a person has a similar body. For the body is the organ of the mind and is continued from the head. Wherefore the mind is the very person, but then no longer a material being, but a spiritual one. And you could think also of the earthly mind like a restraining vessel. 
on the other parts of the mind. And you could say, well, get the earthly mind out of there. We don't want any restraint. Let's get into the heavenly and spiritual. But there's a crucial role that that's playing. Swedenborg talks about it like connective tissue in the body that is essential to restrain the different parts of us so they stay those parts. If you think about what Chelsea was saying earlier, she was looking at hydrophobic elements and hydrophilic elements and how they combine and interact in something like salad dressing. But if we take that to the biochemical level, and we're looking at our cell membranes and how you have to have hydrophobic elements and hydrophilic elements in there to make sure that the stuff that's supposed to stay outside the cell stays outside, the stuff that's supposed to stay inside stays inside. You have to have all these places very carefully regulated in our bodies to let the bodily functions happen. And so there's a similar, actually more complex process going on within the levels of the mind. And we're gonna hear Swedenborg talk about this a little bit more. It's relatively complex, as I just said, so we've tried to make it easier for you by giving you the ultimate teaching tool, which is water balloons. I need to show that the earthly mind reacts against the higher or inner minds. The reason it reacts is that it does surround, enclose, and contain them. This could not happen without that reaction, since if it did not react, the enclosed inner elements would start to spread and force their way out so that they dissipated. It would be as though the coverings of the human body were not reacting, in which case the viscera within the body would spill out and trickle away. Or it would be as though the membranes around the motor fibers of our muscles did not react against the forces of those fibers when they were activated. Not only would the action cease, the whole inner web-like structure would unravel as well. By their very nature, substances of the earthly world react against substances of the spiritual world. Since substances of the earthly world are intrinsically dead and are activated from the outside by substances of the spiritual world. Anything that is dead and is activated from the outside resists by its very nature and therefore reacts by its very nature. So the earthly mind resists spiritual stuff. And at first hearing that, you might say, like, come on, earthly mind. Like, I'm trying to be spiritual. I'm watching videos about spirituality. Stop resisting spiritual stuff. But that resistance is critical because of what we saw with the balloon. If the balloon didn't resist the water, if it didn't stop it from going out, you could never get a water balloon because a water balloon is the harmony of the outward pressure of the water, but the uh, barrier that is created by the balloon itself saying, you can't go anywhere, you can't go anywhere. And that's when you get this fun thing that you can throw at your enemies. So something that Swedenborg says, which is absolutely awesome and baffling at the same time, is like we represented the earthly mind as that sort of plastic skin around the water in a water balloon. Swedenborg says that we actually keep a skin-like covering of substances from our earthly mind after we die. This is divine love and wisdom. The earthly substances of our minds, which fade away after death, if I, as I've just noted, form the skin-like covering of the spiritual bodies we inhabit as spirits and angels. It is by means of this covering, taken from the earthly world, that our spiritual bodies have their stability, the earthly substance being the outermost vessel. This is why there is no angel or spirit who was not born human. Just throw that in there. That's the reason why you have a physical world experience first, because we are, there's an essential component, one of the reasons, there's an essential component that we get from having the very 
Is it the material? Is he talking about stuff in the physical world going to the spiritual world? What is, this is a very bizarre fringe sort of concept, even in Swedenborg. And it's actually something that he refers to in the original language as the limbus. What is the limbus and what can we do with the knowledge about it? Let's turn to our translator extraordinaire, Cardone. The concept of the limbus was a big conversation in the early days of Swedenborgian scholarship. It's an idea that's discussed in several places throughout Swedenborg's writings. One passage from Divine Love and Wisdom talks about how from living in this world, we gain a stable vessel for our spiritual natures, a vessel drawn from the purer substances of this world that we take with us after death in order to carry on and continue our lives. But this concept is only referred to the limbus in one place in all of Swedenborg's writings, and that's in True Christianity, where we read, our body is woven out of substances belonging to the physical world. Our soul, which is our true self, is woven out of substances belonging to the spiritual world. After death, we put off the physical component, but keep the spiritual component along with a border around it made of the finest substances of nature. So that word border is the Latin word limbus. In the older translations, that word limbus was just left untranslated, but it's just a Latin word that means border or edge or boundary, and in some contexts, a hem or a fringe. Uh, the Latin word limbus is also related to the word limbo, the Catholic concept for a place on the edge of hell. And if you Google limbus today, what you find is references to a part of the eye, which is the border between the cornea and the whites of our eyes. And lastly, there's the limbic system in our brain, which is right at the border between the subcortical structures and the cerebral cortex. So those are all uh, examples of how this limbus means the border, the in-between thing. So the limbus is some kind of physical world border around our souls that is retained in the spiritual world and preserves our individuality. It's such an amazing thought. Uh, perhaps if Swedenborg was writing today, he might use terms like electromagnetic field or something about atoms and molecules and electrons. And it's just such a fascinating thing to ponder, this connection between the physical world and the spiritual world that happens in our souls. Yeah, what are those finest substances? Is it matter? Is it energy? I don't know, but it's cool. It makes me wonder, why do we need it there? What does it do? Could it be it's like the surfactant, that mustard that Chelsea was using to make it so salad dressing could work? It's you know allowing these two different kinds of substances to communicate. I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> but the point is, it's important. And there's a process and there are steps and there's an order to the whole thing. And actually, this order is playing out through our whole life. We talked about the, you know, the earthly part of the mind, and then if you could lump these two together, as Swedenborg sometimes does, into the spiritual part of the mind. We all know we're developing the lower, outermost part that we're in throughout our life, but you're actually developing this stuff too. Swedenborg talks about it in Apocalypse Explained. It is to be known that this formation of the two minds, 
so the spiritual side of it and everything that entails, and the earthly, with man goes on from his infancy to his old age, and afterwards to eternity. And sometimes from the middle age of man to his last age. So if you don't get an early start, you can still make it. It's okay. And afterward to eternity, but still in another way after the life in the world than during the life in the world. So it's different after death. And even though he is just saying you don't have to get started right out of the gate, we do need, it is essential for us to get this process started while we're alive in the physical world. We have to lay that foundation for that eternal development. But luckily, there's lots of means for for us to get going on that, making sure we're developing both sides of the mind while we're in this world. While we're here on earth, we have to engage in earthly life, but it's also important to be willing to open up higher levels of our minds. And that is a journey and a process. Swedenborg talks about that in Divine Love and Wisdom. From birth, the spiritual mind is not open, only potentially so. The earthly mind derives its form in part from substances of the earthly world, but the spiritual mind derives its form solely from substances of the spiritual world. This latter mind is kept in its wholeness by the Lord so that we can become human. We are actually born animal, but become human. Our unique role as humans is to be able to open our minds to things beyond physical existence, and then to be able to engage in spiritual and physical issues at the same time connecting them inside ourselves. But what is spiritual anyway? Spiritual doesn't just mean abstract, ethereal thoughts beyond everyday life. It means deeper issues that are a part of everyday life. So issues of things like love and compassion, integrity, patience, intention, purpose, meaning, the deeper perspective about what matters. But how do we open our spiritual minds? Well, by getting rid of the blockage. If we're willing to resist the things that block a higher perspective, God can then clear away that blockage and open our minds to higher levels. Lower ego thoughts and feelings block access to the higher levels of our minds. So resisting and turning away from lower ego stuff allows the spiritual mind to open. It's self-centeredness and materialism that keep us locked in the limited levels of the lower mind. Those qualities keep the heavenly levels of our minds closed. But when we resist things like deceitfulness, that lets honesty flow in. If we resist vengeance, forgiveness can flow in. If we resist a self-centered kind of lust, then real love for somebody can flow in. If we resist criticism and harsh judgment, then things like understanding and compassion and friendship can flow in. Swedenborg saw that resisting negativity and evil actually opens up our spiritual mind, whether we realize it's happening or not. That's our part of the equation, to resist what blocks our higher potential as human beings. Awareness of our spiritual mind is going to be fuzzy as long as we're operating in this world and we're distracted by outer physical concerns. But after death, the level of mind that we've been willing to open to will be set free. It can wake up. So don't be discouraged if you can't feel that spiritual level. As long as you're making some effort in spiritual growth, you can trust that it's happening. Our physical bodies are important tools in this life, but they do have the tendency to impede our spiritual awareness because of their density. Swedenborg talks about this in Heaven and Hell. An earthly body is inherently heavy. 
It does not receive its primary sensations and primary impulses from the inner or spiritual world, but from the outer or natural one. So children in this world learn by practice to walk, to do things, and to talk. Even their senses, such as sight and hearing, are developed by use. It is different for children in the other life. Because they are spirits, their actions are impelled directly by their inner natures. On Earth, we can have a, a desire to do something, but we have to train the body to do it. And in the afterlife, it's going to be very different. Our minds can much more directly come into action through our bodies because they're not physical bodies, they're spiritual bodies. Uh, every day we have choices in front of us to focus on very temporary, worldly aims or on expansive aims of love and usefulness and long-term perspective. So choosing the higher goals in everyday situations is opening up the heavenly levels of our minds right now and we'll be able to fully experience that after death. And not only are we opening our minds right now, but our minds are actually going on a journey. As we're learning things and choosing things in this world, this spiritual you is traveling around and that affects what kind of person we are. This is from Conjugal Love. Swedenborg writes, let me relate a secret. So you guys at home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on this. Heaven is distinguished into innumerable societies. And so likewise, in opposition to them, hell. And every person's mind actually dwells in accordance with his will and consequent intellect in one of these societies, intending and thinking along with the inhabitants there in similar ways. So not only does what we love and what we think about choose our spiritual neighborhood, that neighborhood affects how we think and feel. If the mind is in some society of heaven, then it intends and thinks in like manner as the inhabitants there. If it is in some society of hell, it does so in like manner as the inhabitants there. However, as long as a person lives in the world, he migrates from one society to another in accordance with changes in the affections of his will and so in the thoughts of his mind. But after death, his sojournings are brought together, and from these assembled into a single path, a place is appointed for him. So you can be improving the living conditions for your spiritual mind by what we choose and focus on and think like. Here, we can actually be giving these little levels that come and influence you and provide this essential part of who you are. You give them access to the right stuff to thrive. So it's, it's all up to us to choose what we love and that choice, this whole process, the whole thing that we're in is to lead us to this unity, unity of mind and heart or unity of how we appear and how we really are. All those paths converging into one is really about the spiritual condition of life, which is where you really are genuinely who you say you are through and through. And it's nice to get that clarity for ourselves as well. And, and actually this unity leads to this upgraded organization of the mind after death that we get. Swedenborg talked about it in Heaven and Hell. We even take with us our natural memory. Since, so the memory that we have right now. Since we retain everything we have heard, seen, read, learned, or thought in the world from earliest infancy to the very end of life. However, since the natural objects that reside in our memory cannot be reproduced in a spiritual world, they become dormant the way they do so when we're not thinking about them. Even so, they can be reproduced when it pleases the Lord.
And that, wouldn't it be nice if the stuff in our memory only came up when it was useful or when it pleased the Lord? Normally we're walking around totally bombarded by the past and uh, things that have happened previously are, are messing with our ability to be happy in the present and are overpowering and overwhelming. Wouldn't it be great if everything was in order? And that is really what the package is that our, that our minds, the upgrade our minds receive when we die. We go from the earthly focused consciousness consciousness to the spiritual focus consciousness and that's actually a better state of being to be in what the whole thing so what what is the difference what's the state of mind we get after we die i I would say that that it's better what we get is a boost to our clear sense of ourselves and of our purpose and the shedding of the burdens that are holding us back weighing us down, clouding things. What we step into here, you can even see it. You're stepping into clarity and peace. And that's what happens to our minds after we die. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. As a nonprofit, we depend on donor support to continue to create high quality programming. Any gift you give joins you to the central network of people in the world who make our work possible. You can deepen the significance of your gift by making it in memory or honor of someone special in your life. This could be done as a one-time gift, recurring monthly, or run as a special fundraiser for your circle of friends and family. Go to otle.causevox.com and follow the prompts to make a gift in whatever way is most meaningful for you. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every day around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through in this way, in the end, everybody wins.